Welcome to the first serve here on SEN. Great to be in your company on this evening. It's uh, Jordan Canellis with you, filling in for Brett Phillips, who is taking the week off, just having a bit of a breather and recharging the battery ahead of the run into towards the US Open here on SEN, right around Australia and New Zealand. It's great to have your company tonight as we wrap up what was a big week in Canada, in both Toronto and Montreal, with particularly big results with uh, the Australians and Alex Demonor, who made the run to the final his first ever Masters 1000 title. But there'll be plenty on the show. Not only that, we've got Peter Johnson in the studio. We'll introduce him in just a second, who is uh, the tournament director of a couple of tournaments, and we'll get his insights uh, into what goes into running tournaments all around the world in a matter of moments. Uh, plus, we'll have our tennis state grade segment a little later on where we'll take a more local look to what's been happening in Victoria, and we'll go overseas and get our college wrap with Lockie Puyol later on to see uh, who's been performing well over in the NCAA. But alongside me for the show tonight is uh, famed tennis writer Courtney Walsh uh, along for the ride tonight. Hello, Courtney. How's things? Yeah, very well, Jordan, and thanks so much for uh, having me on. It's uh, great to be here. Um, no harder working man in tennis than Brett Phillips, perhaps uh, the man opposite us, and uh, yes. Craig Tiley might uh, <laughs> lay claim to that title as well. But uh, a well-deserved break for him, and uh, you've done a very fine job uh, filling in. Yes, well, it does take two people to fill in uh, Brett Phillips' seat here in the, on the first serve. So you and I are going to hold the fort for the two hours. Uh, but Peter Johnston is with us as well, tournament director over in Zhuhai in Israel as well. And of course, the, the Kuyong Classic. Peter, it's uh, great to have you in. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks, Walshy. Great to be here. It's been a pretty uh, monumental week, I would say, for tennis uh, in Australia with uh, Alex Demonor making his first ever Masters 1000 uh, final, uh, losing to, to Yannick Sinner ultimately. Uh, early this morning in Canada, but still, um, it's it puts him up at his uh, career high ranking of number twelve now, which is just hit with the new ATP rankings uh, coming out a few hours ago, early this morning. So, this is uh, this is new territory for Alex Demonor, Courtney. Yeah, look, he's been a, I think a standard setter for Australian tennis in his time on the tour, and it's really only six or so years that he's been on the tour. But we know how hard he's worked. He's been respected widely by his peers. They all love what he does on the court. They love the, the fact that he'll go and sit down for dinners with them. He'll he'll work with them. He'll train with them. To do what he's done on the court in the last week, but also I think the last two months has been really impressive. He's made three finals now uh, in the last two months. Queens, where he gets beaten by Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, Mexico last week, where he gets beaten by Stefano Tsitsipas. And now Toronto, the biggest one of his career, the biggest final of his career. Uh, Yannick Sinner, who is a very, 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 very good Italian player, uh, clearly benefiting from, uh, I think, the advice of uh, of Darren Cale, the the master Australian coach who's worked with, you know, took Leighton Hewitt, Simona Halep, Andre Agassi to the world's top ranking. So to get through to that final today, to beat players the calibre of Medvedev, mm. Cameron Norrie, Taylor Fritz, even Davidovich Fikina uh, on the way through to that final was Fantastic. He sits 10th in the ATP Tour race, so he's the 10th best-performed player on the Tour this year. Great stuff. We'd love to see it more in majors, and, and, and I still think that will come, but uh, fantastic to see what he's been doing in the last couple of months. Yeah, uh, Walshie, too. I think with Demon, when you touched on beating uh, Medvedev, like he's starting to beat top 10 guys now. And really, when you look at the draw each week, he'd be one guy you just would not want to draw because you know you're just going to have to be ready. You're going to have to be fit. He's timed his matches pretty well. And, um, you know, I think he's still got a full head of steam coming up to the end of the year, which, again, is a nightmare when you have to play him. So a few draws open up this time of year. I think also it will be interesting to see what he plays next. Um, I'd imagine, look, he was going to take the 
the week I do is Juhai. He was going to take that week off, but it's also Labor Cup week. Um, given Kyrgios is out and his ranking's gone up, I'd imagine that there'll be a few phone calls to him to see if he could uh, come and be a last-minute inclusion into Labor Cup, and, and there'd be some pretty tempting dollars on offer to, to to try and get that one over the line. Yeah, and he carries a bit of cachet now, doesn't he, uh, Alex Demonor, with that with that ranking up at number 12, and I guess if they want an Australian in, in the Labor Cup and there's no Kyrgios with the ongoing injury, then, then Demonor is the obvious next choice, and he's in form too, so you know you'd be getting quality tennis right now with Demonor. Absolutely. And we know that, look, Davis Cup's always been a priority for him. He, he, he really does love representing Australia. But this is named after an iconic Australian, this event. So I, I, I don't doubt that uh, if there's an extra zero or so on the contract, that can help. And it's a different format as well. It's not, not as it's, testing. So, you know, yeah. it, it's a relaxed week. That's in the way. It. It's not a hard week. I mean, he could go there. He could play a singles and a doubles or something and they're two sets at a breaker. So... No, I, look, look, he may not. He may stick to what his script is and he has to pace himself now till the end of the year and still some big ones coming up uh, and he can, as you said, well, she's 10 on the race. You know, he could end up, uh, you know, qualifying for Turin. Maybe that's the goal. So what, what is his next tournament? So he's uh, not, not playing at Cincinnati next up, I imagine, but there's Winston-Salem before the US? No, no, no. He is playing Cincinnati this oh, week. Is. So basically he will have been... And I think they, they certainly had a private jet from uh, Montreal for the women to Cincinnati for those who are in the final. And I suspect they would have done the same for the men. Too, too big a tournament, basically. Cincinnati's a, a similar tier at the Masters level, which, you know, the level just below the Grand Slam. So he will play this week. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's got, again, no, no, no rest for the wicked. You, you basically walk in and he, he plays a, a pretty talented American, particularly in hard courts, and JJ Wolf, who's had some, had some nice results on hard courts. Now, you think, Alex, if he's fit and firing would be too good for him, but you're just always mindful of a, a little fatigue factor uh, there. But then if he was able to get through that, well, Cameron Norrie, who he played last week, first up the Wimbledon semifinalist a year ago, or Gail Monfils, who played superbly, turned back the clock in uh, Toronto, the 36-year-old, had a couple of fantastic victories, including a ripper against Max Purcell. We, we should touch on a couple of the other Australians while we're there. Yeah. Um, you know, great stuff from Alex Fukic. Lucky loser, but gets through mm. and beats Borna Corrich and... Uh, and then had another great uh, second-round win over Sebastian Corder. He's up to a career-high ranking of 47, which is outstanding. I remember talking to him probably a couple of years ago, and he, he was the same vintage of, as Kyrgios and Kokonakis as a, you know, as a junior, and he felt that they were so far ahead of him, so good, so you know, so talented. And we've seen, certainly with Nick and, and Thanasi at different stages, just how good they can be. Here he is, ranked 47 and above them. Yeah, Vukic, 27 years old, so he's, he's in that same age bracket as, as Kokonakis and Kyrgios, but... It's been a, I wouldn't say he shot up to, to the rankings. It's been a, it's been a, a gradual build up. He's, he's got into the top 200, then the top 100, got his way up to 100. And now he's, he's halfway inside that top 100. It's, and now he's, I think the second or third highest ranked Aussie male uh, in the rankings. It's and off the back of a great week. Lucky loser, as, as Courtney said, Peter, this is, um, this is great, uh, great progression that we're seeing from Vukic. Yeah. And it has become this little cluster of guys, um, ex-college, um, proving to be a great proving ground. And um, and that maturity, that bit of hanging in in the, in the sport, you see Chris O'Connell as well, um, guys that are bobbing up mid to late 20s and creating that sort of, as I say, that cluster of guys in the top 100 at the moment. And, you know, it's that self-belief. It's that sort of maturity that you can handle the week in, week out on the tour and you're not getting grumpy and you're sort of know what how it all works and feeling like you belong. And, and all this does is just create that feeling of belonging coming into the bigger events. So, um, 
Uh, it's a sleepily good time, I think, for the Aussies. Yeah, I think there's eight Aussie men in the top 100. Now, if you have Kyrgios, who, whenever it is that he returns, he'll come back with a protected ranking of 21. I remember Wally Masua said about a year ago that 10 would be great. If you yep. get 10 in the top 100 now, clearly we want Grand Slam winners. That's obviously the, mm-hmm. the ultimate. We want Davis Cup winners. Uh, we want probably a couple in the top 20, uh, one in the top 10. But... To have 10 is not a bad uh, – it's it's a good show, show of resilience from – and Max Purcell, you know, he had a great win uh, as well. Um, he, he beat uh, Popper in overnight in qualifying, but he had a good result um, against uh, Auger Alisim, the world number 12, his highest-ranked victory uh, in mm. Toronto on home soil for the Canadian last week. So there's some Aussies doing some good things on the tour. Let's have a listen to Alex Dimonor off the back of the, uh, the runner-up fin- finishing in Canada uh, from early this morning, losing the final ultimately to Yannick Sinner from Italy, who gets his first ATP Masters 1000 title. But uh, Demonor making the final. Let's have a listen to Alex. Yeah, look, uh, Yannick is a hell of a player, and uh, he's uh, got some some of the hardest ground strokes I've probably ever dealt. To be honest, um, all these things I knew coming in, I knew what to expect. Um, I think ultimately he kind of executed his game plan a little bit better than, than I was able to do mine. Um, today the plan was to, to try to neutralise as much as I could, try to keep my depth and, and as soon as I had a, a chance, try to take control of the rally, dictate and then come in, be aggressive and and all that. Um, but yeah, look, he, he played at an extremely high level. I think uh, he returned really well as well. Um, you know, I was constantly under pressure on my serve, and yeah, it was just one of those days. He he deserved it today. He came out and and played a, a very high level. Alex Demonor uh, after finishing uh, as the runner-up of Canada the 1000 tournament, so six four six one the final score early this morning for Yannick Sinner. But um, but for Demonor, is there anything you've noticed, guys, differently that Demonor is doing right now, or is it just getting that consistency in his game that has allowed him to make these finals? Well, I certainly think he's strengthened up a little bit, but I think he's also a little mentally stronger. I spoke to him a couple of times this year, and he, and he did say that just... We, we see him as a fairly even character, but he said that he would have ups and downs mentally in between. And, and you know, it is he's been around for a while, but learning how to handle the rigours of the tour, those back-to-back-to-back big events on clay, didn't perform amazingly, but had a couple of okay results on clay. The great run at Wimbledon... Uh, sorry, at Queen's... He's unfortunate against Berrettini. Berrettini that day, well, it was on court 18, but it felt like Berrettini was serving from the balcony overlooking court 18. So big was he hitting that the ball was, you know, the angles he was getting. But I just think he's bringing it more consistently time and again. The difference in that final today was that he barely made an unforced error throughout the the week. You know, I think he was averaging about four unforced errors per set throughout the week. Someone with the quality ball striking of, uh, of Sinner the errors started to leak a little bit as he was pressing a bit more. Yeah, I think with Sinner, you, you, he just feels like he has to go for a little bit more and that, you know, is just that one that makes you press more. And But the, th- the other thing I think on on Demon, it's just been such a fairly easy um, story to follow in that he, incrementally he always seems to make improvement. He's not having the good year and then the dud year. He's actually always just making that improvement. I think about two years ago, you could he was just routinely winning 250s but then he'd never won a 500 and then then he's progressing into well you know wins a 500 and now he's a final of a of a thousand and you know these sorts of things and I think it's also it's just opening up a little bit 
at the top, you know, the, the, these guys like Sinner, Alcaraz, Rud, um, uh, Holger Rune, just put those guys as, say, the, the blue chip new boys. Um, he knows he can play with those guys. And that's, that's what's on top now. And some of these guys play through him a little bit like Sitsipas and so forth, but he knows mostly he can hang in with anyone. Oh, and, that, and that's what he said. He, he's basically said in those interviews, I believe I can beat these guys. May not happen every time. It might need things to fall the right way, similar in, in, in sort of big tournaments like this. You know, Alcaraz gets rolled early or these things happen, but there will be opportunities. We're going to touch on your, you know, multiple roles in tennis a little later, Peter, but he was the first champion in Zhuhai when you were there four years ago uh, pre-COVID. What, what was he like to deal with just in terms of the, uh, the day-to-day uh, activities of, of a professional tennis player? the tournament he plays a lot of table tennis in between his matches and he's i mean he's just so under the radar and he's a he's polite obliging he's just uh he just relaxes into the week if you like and it was interesting that week um he had a pretty tough draw juhai he he played andy murray second round he played a first match against uh tennis sengren who um or sengren who you know was pretty tough at that time he beat uh, Roberto Batusta a good two and two, and Roberto came off and he said, "I just, I actually played okay." So he was beating the really Batista made a Wimbledon semi final that mm, year. Oh I think. Yeah, yeah, regular yeah. top ten, and um, so he, he he just sort of settles into mold and he's very uncomplicated. I think the other thing, it is worth mentioning, but with uh, going out with Katie Bolter, I mean they're strong those two, and they're just loving life on the tour and they're liking a bit of. They're feeding off each other, you know, a bit of funny stuff on social media to each other. But it all helps. You've got to adjust week in, week out on the tour. It's not all bells and whistles, and you get pretty darn tired. And I think he's just found a good mix. Yeah, it's a good balance he's struck now, it sounds like, in his career. It's not just the – I guess there's so much – particularly when you're a younger player and you, you, you're so focused on – trying to grind your way up and develop and get better. And and then you sort of, you know, it either happens or doesn't happen for you and you can get yourself bogged down a little bit. But if you can find that balance, um, then tennis sometimes becomes lighter for you. Mm. And and the other thing, remember, and I think this is the for a few guys, Dimino's based in Spain. So he's not trying to get back to Sydney. Oh, God, I'm homesick. I've got to get back. Yeah. He yep. goes back for a week, Spain. Plus, you can train with – look who you can train with in Spain. <laughs> you, mm. like, uh, you take your pick. And it's just easy. It's If you're based in Europe, it's just such an easier lifestyle. Or, well, I mean, you can be based in the States as well. But if, you, if you're hankering to get back to Australia, you're going to struggle year in, year out to really play the full calendar. Yeah, massive physical toll. The, uh, the other Aussies, we spoke about Vukic, but Purcell as well. You mentioned his big win over Felix Auger, Ali Seem. Felt to Andy Murray in the second rounds, and um, and Thanasi Kokonakis uh, came through as a qualifier, uh, got through the first round match in a straight sets win over Zhang Zhen, and then lost to Lorenzo Musetti in, in three sets in the second round. How would you assess Kokonakis as uh, this tournament, but also maybe the, the last month or so leading up into to this point? It was another one where you look at Thanasi and he just gets edged. He had his big chances against Massetti, who was an exceptionally talented player, a top 20 Italian, very you know similar to that group that's coming through. He had his chances to win that match, couldn't quite close it out. It just gets away from him in the end. And there's been quite a few of those, I think, in the last year where he's, where he's won a round or been in the position to go a couple of rounds and just got edged by very good players. So he's not that far away. I, I do, I still wonder with him, if he gets that run somewhere, if he if he really has that big breakthrough at a, at a 
at a Masters or, or, or at a Grand Slam, and we know that he's had big wins at Masters. He beat Roger Federer in Miami. It's 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 not like he can't uh, go with these guys. But I, I was encouraged to see him go back to Cincinnati, go back to qualifying this week, and have two very good wins in qualifying. He uh, he beat uh, Les Légers, who is a world number 35. He had to back up. He beat uh, Garland, uh, Gallon today, who, again, has had some good results, I think, uh, you know, different stages on the tour. So back-to-back, he's done well. doesn't get any easier, though. He goes up against uh, Hubert Hercatch uh, first up in uh, in Cincinnati. And we see, you know, we saw him really test Novak uh, Djokovic at Wimbledon, then really test uh, Carlos Alcaraz in, uh, in Toronto. So basically, when you're playing these Masters events and you're looking at the quality of the qualifying draws, just to get through qualifying in these sort of events is incredible. Uh, touched on just on Kim Birrell did that last week. She was beaten... In, uh, by Wozniacki, uh, the returning Wozniacki in the main draw. But just getting through qualifying for the Masters is big. Then you go up against, you know, the Aussies have got, well, Thompson versus Isner. You know, Purcell gets through, beats Popperin in a tight one, but he might have to play Kasper Ruud if he wins his first round. No easy matches. Let's chat about the women's for a moment as well. So they played in Montreal. So these uh, this Canadian Open happened simultaneously, but in different cities. The men this year in, uh, in Toronto, the women in Montreal, they alternate every year. Uh, and uh, it was a, a cast of some similar names who made the latter stages of the tournament, but also a few different ones as well. And we saw Jessica Pegula winning the tournament this morning, defeating uh, Ludmilla Samsonova 6-1, 6-love, which reads heavy on the scoreline. But that was, of course, Samsonova's second match of the day. Her semi-final got carried over against Elena Rybakina. She beat Rybakina, which is a massive scalp for Samsonova, whose rise has been pretty quick over the last two years. Um, to make a final is, is huge for her, but uh, trying to scale two big opponents in one day just got a bit too much and Pagula won uh, I think her second Masters title um, quite easily in the end Courtney yeah and, and fantastic to see Jess who's I think has made five of the last seven Grand Slams quarterfinals and, and hasn't quite been able to get through that uh, that hurdle but she's clearly playing very well uh, you know everywhere else on the tour and this was a really impressive week to to be able to knock off Coco Goff who with Brad Gilbert uh, now, uh, you know, helping her out was fantastic in Washington last week and had a couple of good wins. To then knock off the world number one, Vigas Vantek, who, uh, you know, moves into the top 10 in terms of all-time uh, world number one length of uh, holding that reign this week. To knock her off is, you know, the reigning US Open champion uh, is, is a very, very good effort. Whether that final would have been tighter, I, look, I, I still would have backed Jess in based on how she was playing against two very, very good players. There was some controversy. Look, Montreal, I'm, I'm sure Pete may have even played there. I, I love the... Uh, I, I covered that event going back a few years ago and loved the tournament itself. Got a little unfortunate with the rain. They had uh, Robert Keener and uh, Kasekina finish, you know, well after midnight, well and truly after midnight, and then Robert Keener comes back to play the semi-final, mm. which, of course, causes some issues in terms of uh, the final. So, you know, unlucky with... You know, it must be a tournament director's nightmare sometimes, but... Uh, Puyula, fantastic effort, and she's a popular player on the tour. It'd be, uh, you know, I, I would love to see her, and I think on the hard courts of the US, it really does suit her. It was probably, you touched on the weather there while she in, I can tell you that was a major factor though last week, because Pagula, yes, um, probably needed that win to really cement herself. She's regularly top three, top four, but hasn't kind of got it done a few times, so coming into US Open, yep, she'll, a lot of momentum, but where uh, Rybakina got shafted, I think, <laughs> that week because she had to play, uh, as you said, I think it was three in the morning she finished, um, then has to come back. And if she wins, and Pagula's sitting there having a cup of tea and watching 
that match play out and then having another cup of tea watching the semi-final play out while she then comes and so they they so Robokina plays the next day on the final day and then and then loses and then um you know virtually like the, I think the final was 48 minutes or something for Pagula because no one had anything left in the tank what happened, Peter, in the semi-final with Pagula and Iga Sviontek at the end of the second set tiebreaker, nearing the end of the second set tiebreaker, where all of a sudden over the loudspeaker, none other than Cotton Eye Joe, <laughs> this sort of uh, jokey kind of uh, country-sounding song, plays midpoint. And this was at a moment where Pagula was getting near to winning the match. Yeah, I, I think one thing with that, you kind of ride through that and I think it adds to the the overall story and they played it, I think in the final too, because now they're going <laughs> yeah, to play it every yeah. time she ever plays. Yeah. Um, I think that's the good thing, but I think the other, the, the hard bit was this, when you're so constrained by having to finish the tournament on the Sunday, when you have that rain, because they're going, they're off to play, the girls are playing Cincinnati this week too. Mm -hmm. You can't go to a Monday final because you're already banking up the next week. Yeah. You've got TV commitments, etc. So you kind of got to get the girls through and then, Two and two thirty-three in the morning isn't. It's no good for anyone. I, it, it's just it's the way the circuits condensed. You just they didn't have any wriggle room. I would say that uh, she lost twelve points in a row after Cotton Eye Joe came on. <laughs> yeah, yep. did it's never ever been a favourite of mine. No. <laughs> I cannot imagine necessarily <laughs> it's a favourite of hers. But to that, you know, to lose twelve points in a row against uh, someone like Smantek led her back into the match. Mm -hmm and then rally to finish her off. Yeah, it, it's it's good resilience. Yeah. It was a cool result as well for uh, for Danielle Collins, who made the quarterfinals as a qualifier. So she came through qualifying and was uh, immediately just knocking off big names. She beat Alina Svitolina, who made the semis of Wimbledon not that long ago and, and has been playing well since then as well. Then defeated Maria uh, Sakari in the second round, Leila Fernandez in the third, and then fell to Igor Sviontek in the, um, in the quarterfinals. But Danielle Collins, always a, always a favourite on tour. Well, it's certainly, uh, certainly um, someone who's feisty and in your face, and, and, and remember her from the Australian Open final, obviously, uh, you know, eighteen, nineteen, or twenty months ago against Ash Barty, where in that second set she had the Australian well and truly on the ropes. When she is on, and she's had some injury concerns since, she 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 has been on and off, which is why her ranking sound a little bit lower. But we touched on, you know, no rest for the wicked. She comes back out yeah. this week. Sviantec may well have to play Collins <laughs> in the second set after they had that cracker yeah. last week in uh, in uh, Mon in Montreal. So, yeah, it's uh, there's some great tennis unfolding, and it's good to see players like Collins showing some resilience. Yeah. Wozniacki back on the tour. Uh, you know, she had a good win. Even Venus Williams. Now, I know you, you know people will talk about wild cards whether whether or not, but I, you know, I uh, personally think she adds unbelievable value in a to any tournament. To every tournament yeah. she goes to, yeah. and she performed very well against Madison Keys in that first round. She got beaten, but you know, a, a great effort. She's playing again this week. You would have a seven-time champion and an icon of the sport every time until she's fifty, wouldn't you, Pete? You would, you would. And I think look also, especially in the US, and and you look at the when you talk about uh, Coco Guff winning last week and Pagula now this week and you know, Danielle Collins starting to play well. Venus with a wild card. Wozniaki's already got a wild card. It's kind of a global star. It's starting to create, which is what you want going to the US Open. There's, you know, 10, 12 good storylines. And, you know, which is kind of what the women's needed, has needed a little bit. It's needed the combination of the superstars and the emerging ones, but you don't want them all to be European. You need America firing well. And I think that little mix is starting to come in quite nicely.
just need an Australian to come through. That's the missing link. That's right. Yeah, that's the one that we've uh, not got quite yet since uh, Barty. This is the first serve here on SEN right across Australia and New Zealand. All thanks to Yonex. Check out their new seventh generation racket, a masterpiece of technology and craft combining precise spin and remarkable control, a work of art at yonex.com. Jordan Canella speak to you. Courtney Walsh and Peter Johnston in the studio with me. We'll come back on the other side of this and, uh, and delve a little deeper into the life of Peter Johnston next. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Jordan Canellos with you here, filling in for Brett Phillips tonight on the first serve, taking a week off before he uh, returns for the build-up towards the US Open, just recharging the battery for a week. Brett Phillips alongside me, Courtney Walsh, and Peter Johnston in the studio as well. Now, Courtney, we've, uh, you and I are both pretty keen to sort of uh, delve in a little bit into the life of Peter Johnston and what he does in the tennis world, a um, uh, well-established tournament director nowadays. Peter, just tell us firstly the uh, the portfolio of tournaments you've got uh, on your books at the moment. Well, currently, Jordan, yeah, I'm doing uh, in, which is now I think in five weeks' time, doing the Zhuhai, which is in the southern part of China. That's an ATP 250. Um, that takes quite a bit of my year because you have to do a lot of time up there. I just got back last week. I go up again next week. Um, I do Tel Aviv ATP 250, which is a was a one-year event last year. We had Novak playing, and this year we've leased it again. Uh, and we so we're on the week before the ATP finals. Uh, so it's an ATP 250 in Tel Aviv, and I do the Care A2 Plus Kuyong Classic, which mm. I've been doing for a large number of years. So th- between those three, they're all very varied and lots of different components to each. I guess when you're talking China, Tel Aviv, and then down the road at Kuyong. But, uh, yeah, that's sort of a fairly meaty portfolio for me at the, at the moment. How much of that? Uh, so you mentioned it's been, uh, you know, uh, taken up a, little, a lot of your time now with, with Zhuhai getting ready for that in China. What's the, um, how has it been, I, I guess? What's the what's the feeling like over there in China with uh, with tennis returning to China for the first time since, since how long has it been? Well, it's three years. Yeah. yeah. So we've been off for three years. I hadn't been to Zhuhai or, or anywhere in China as, as no other Australian <laughs> for three years. And, Going up there again, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of a, uh, a reopening, literally, for you can see all the WTA events are back now. And, and, but also things have to, you have to really reignite. I think there was a really nice vibe before COVID where players were really looking forward to China and it was a mainstay of the menu. And now we've got to convince them a little bit to come back. Um, Zhuhai itself, we're in a tricky week. Um, we are in the, we actually play Wednesday to Tuesday, which is unheard of in a ATP event, but it was to allow Shanghai Masters in two weeks to go longer. So we had to go shorter in different days. But that's presented some challenges. Um, we also have Labor Cup in our weekend. Uh, so, But we've attracted a good field, which we try and position why this can be a good event. You know, we've got a beautiful hotel, uh, St. Regis. We're just near Hong Kong. It's next to Macau. You walk across the bridge to Macau. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we have Medvedev playing. We have Andy Murray, which for a 250 is, is decent. And um, Cam Norrie, uh, Kachanov, um, Borna Korich. We've got Jerry Shang, uh, uh, who's up-and-coming Chinese guys because the top two Chinese guys have to play Asian games. So we've got a few <laughs> hurdles, but I think for a 250, we're really uh, lights out as far as the strength. We saw in Chinese tennis, uh, obviously, going back over a decade now, Lina having that amazing sort of run and winning a couple of Grand Slam tournaments. And we've seen plenty of very good female players 
uh, coming through, uh, you know, some real talents on the tour at the moment. With the men, it was always, where is the next mm. guy? Now, you touched on uh, Zhang, who's a, a very, very, very talented young player. You've got uh, uh, Wibing Yu, who was a, a former US Open uh, junior boys finalist, who's now starting to flourish. Uh, Zhang, I think you had him at, uh, at Kuyong. So the men, men are starting to come in China as well. What sort of, uh, you know, is that important for the success of the support there? I think so. And I think that's actually helping in the revival and of, of tournaments this year because uh, I used to, one job I did have, I was three years, I ran the uh, WTA office in Beijing, which is the, um, was the office for the Asia Pacific. And that was when Lee Na started to, she won the, um, the French. And that led to this explosion. You know, every, every Chinese city had to have a tournament. Like Wuhan were desperate to get a tournament. That was her hometown. Um, sadly, when they did get the tournament, she actually retired and announced it in Beijing, which was a bit embarrassing. But, um, <laughs> but there was this explosion, like seven tournaments in China. But I would constantly get that sort of messaging, underlying message, if only we had a guy. You know, and that's... I think helping, like the women are doing really well. Um, and, uh, but for the guys, like, I mean, when you mentioned uh, Wu Yubing and Zhang Zhizhen, those guys, they're playing mainstream events now. And you can watch tennis in China. There's uh, iQiyi, which is a, a streaming service in China, which is mainstream. It's not like a, you have to dig around and find it. It's, everyone's got iQiyi if you're into sport. But you can watch every court, every televised court of every ATP event and WTA event throughout the year. So, they're out there. They're on their phones watching those those guys and girls, and they're really engaged in the sport, actually. And uh, so that's all helping in the whole reemergence. So I'm, I'm still confident. I th I think over this little hump, and obviously Peng Shui issue sort of delayed WTA, but I think it's game on. Uh, first year, first run after a spell, perhaps you know everyone's finding their feet. But I think China's back as a, as a mainstay component of the tour. So we talked. You touched on leasing tournaments before, uh, leasing Tel Aviv. So with Shuhai, it was there. You, you, you've been, I suppose, your experience in China and, and around the world. You have that opportunity and the, and the knowledge of, of what works in, I suppose, in 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 Asia and also around the world. Tell us about uh, Tel Aviv. Well, actually, let's before we get there, just tell us about that Wednesday to Tuesday. Do you think that opens opportunity for tournaments around the world? Is there some prospect that you get with? You know, you might get one final on a Sunday two semifinals on a Saturday. It's generally the time in Australia where people have got their time off, where you can actually go to the tournaments. Do you think that can happen in terms of perhaps if you move it to a Tuesday final, a Monday night semifinal, more matches for fans to go and see on Saturdays and Sundays? Is there, is there any merit in that or is this a great experiment? Well, we've had to, we're trying to make that there's plenty of merit in it because we were dealt the cards, if you like, but there is a good story to say with it. And I think the other part with... Yeah, look, you are, it's a cluttered landscape any weekend, isn't it? You know, we on Mondays, here we are, we're, we, you know, we're dissecting the footy and whatever, and then globally there's so much going on. And so tennis is just one of those. But Monday, Tuesday is actually kind of those couple of days where we can have a bit more space. So we're certainly positioning it that way. Um, in China, it's also it's hard to get people out, out to the courts during work days and they have to work on the during the week. So that, I think there's enough positives. Whether it's mainstream and whether it continues depends a bit on the structure of the calendar. But look, I do think there is a there is an argument to, for the tours to explore a bit more about potentially not necessarily having, um, you know, Sunday Sunday finals. Would you need Would you need total buy-in, though, from the other tournaments yeah, to be able to do that? Because that's the trick. There'll be, there'll be too much overlap. 
George, absolutely right. You've got to, it's a whole like moving the Titanic. I think it's worked well with us because they were trying to find more days for Shanghai being a Masters 1000. So they sort of go, okay, we'll buy more days, but you're going to have to back up a little bit. And uh, so that was the trade-off there. But um, but the other thing, remember tennis, It's what it's got, why it's so big globally and particularly big in the betting markets. I mean, tennis is the third biggest sport bet on in the world, which not many people probably do know, but it's because it's seven-day-a-week content, content yeah. day and night, time zones, you know, not just talking the, the tour events, but the challenger level, the ITF level. So if you can sort of grab some more space in key times because it has that ability, you know, it could be another little growth spurt for the sport. But you've got, there's too many things you've got to change probably to, to get a holistic change. What is the day in the life of a tournament director <laughs> well, during the actual events? Because yeah. we, well, we see Craig Tiley and uh, we know by day 13 of the Australian Open, I'm sure he's got a little cot out the back of, uh, of <laughs> Melbourne Park where he might tumble into it for an hour. Yeah. Uh, but you see players always thank the tournament director when they've, you know, when they've won titles and they've got a big paycheck as well. But yeah. you, it's not very often you won't see them actually thank whoever it is that the tournament director is that week. What does the tournament director do? What do you do from, say, uh, you know, the morning through to the night? Do you panic? Well, well, a bit of that. I mean, I think uh, there's two parts to a tournament director. And each tournament's kind of different. But there's the lead-up and there's the, the operational of the week. The operational of the week, you're, one thing you are always got to do is have a smile on your face and pretend that you've got everything under control. Because if you, <laughs> if you look like you're wilting, it all wilts sort of thing. So there's that component. By nature, you're having a lot of impact with the players because, you know, they're the, they're the assets on, on the court. You don't, don't want to turn a, a person an asset, but actually that's what you've got to be careful to make sure that they're looked after because they're, um, they're so important. So a lot of hosting, a lot of um, you've got broadcast, like even let's say Kuyong, for example, that's another dimension, I guess, Kuyong, because there's not an entry list as such. So if a player drops out, I've got to go and find another one. And I've even had times of called my old mate John McCurdy one year um, when Richard Gasquet was pulling out an hour and a half before the TV match and John's running the practice desk at the Australian Open. I'm saying, can you find anyone who can get down here? And he put me on to a guy, Jersey Janowitz, who actually got to a semi of Wimbledon. He was, he was decent. Yeah. And uh, I said, look, you don't know me, but I run this Kuyong thing. I'll pay you X. He goes, I'm on my way. And he came down. And so th there's that panic of trying to find players that's that's an added pressure versus at Juhai, you know, if someone withdraws, which you have to manage that if it's a significant player, um, you just replace them. It's it's next in, et cetera. But, you know, there's so many aspects to it, Walshie. It's, um, but I think a key part, like tournament directing, end of the day, you're probably just selling, 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 selling. Like when you're trying to secure the event or start it, you're trying to, you know, sell TV. You're trying to, and you're trying to create a personality of the tournament. Like every tournament's got a personality. We go to Wimbledon. What is it? It's the traditions, and oh, I feel great because I'm going into the hallowed. If you're in France, can't you've got to get to the merchandise section at the French because it's chic and everything. Australian Open, the Happy Slam. I'm not. I don't love the Happy Slam because I think it implies the others are unhappy. But I think it's actually, it's very, it's the every every person's slam. The tournaments I've done like the last few years. I did, some, I did some Petersburg, sadly, because of the war, it's not on, but gee, it was known as the best hotel. It was the Four Seasons, which was next to the Hermitage Museum. If you, your courtesy car, you could come down and pick which racing car you wanted to get to the courts. All this 
So it had a pizzazz on the tour. Juhai, we're trying to say you get to – you're staying at the St. Regis. We're, we're looking after you. Macau's across the road. Uh, you, you know, you've got to create a personality that not just the players buy in, but the sponsors buy in, the broadcasters buy in. And, uh, you know, so I feel like it's a relentless selling. And I think the other thing, you have to be very durable. Like you have a lot of punch the air moments with satisfaction, but you have a lot of punch the wall moments when, you know, three days before the Kuyong Classic last year, I get, and I'd been checking in with Alcaraz's team every day. You're right, you're right, you're right. He's got the Como booked. And then I see about four in the morning, ping on my phone, and I see the first words, unfortunately, and I just get the phone and <laughs> I'm just thinking, you know, goodness. So you're dealing with that stuff. but So I'm trying to sort of give you a, probably a very broad mm. snapshot, but I think ultimately the tournament director, they've got to be – you've, you've got to be sort of you're across every area, so you're really having to put on a pretty brave phrase all around. That's Peter Johnson you're hearing on the first serve here on SEN. We'll take a quick break. We'll continue this discussion on the other side of this right here on SEN. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Green Life Group, your specialist in keeping your sports turf in top condition with minimal disruption at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to the first serve on SEN. Jordan Canellis here, Courtney Walsh and Peter Johnston with you as well. And off the text message, 0433981116, the all-new Temper Pro. Temper's most adaptive mattress ever is here. Alex says, Peter, the master of managing on the run. So good to have him part of Australian tennis. I think uh, managing on the run is uh, a pretty big part <laughs> of being a tournament director, isn't it? sums it up. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, a little bit of love in the air. And uh, just in terms of that lead-in time, for tournaments, how important for for tournaments to try and build their profile to try and sell, uh-huh. is it when you when you're trying to trying to give tournaments an identity? That's well, it. That, well, she, the longer lead time to create the personality, the, the identity of the tournament, the better. And the the hardest thing in tennis and for players and tournaments the last few years has been COVID because tournaments have been announced at short notice, and it wasn't that long ago the tours were both doing three year calendars in advance, and now like you take the extreme now, like even. Here in Australia, we're, um, we're August. We don't know what January looks like. I mean, I've got a fair idea. United Cup will be there, truncated format. But Hong Kong's a new one um, instead of Pune in, in India. And so if you haven't got the lead time, it's very hard to do the deals. It's hard to sign the players. It's hard to create the identity. And, uh, you know, I, I, even in Zhuhai, where I am, there's the, also a women's event, which I used to do. They only found out. Uh, seven or eight weeks ago that they're doing it. So they have to unearth a new budget. And for the girls, I really feel sorry for them with the, the WTA finals, the premier event on the women's tour. We're August and we don't know where they're playing. And that's, mm. you know, so how do you really make a dollar, you know, when you've got such a lead, a short lead time to maximise it? You can't sell your broadcast rights for the same money because broadcasters have already committed. Massive chain reaction. So time is your friend. And also... When you're doing a tournament, when you're doing a sponsorship deal, you don't want to be doing one-year deals. You want you you need to you don't want to have all those conversations unless you're going to back yourself totally and go. We'll be so much better next year. We'll charge more, but you've got to, you know, you, you need time, and that's been one of the biggest problems for the sport in the last few years. So yeah, and, and we'll touch on I suppose the local aspect to that. The Australian summer it could well be you know, potentially a truncated uh, United Cup, not quite as. Uh, unwieldy as what it was perhaps this year. Uh, we know that Brisbane desperately missed their tournament 
the Brisbane fans who loved the Brisbane International. There was lots of feedback, I think, for the first serve and, and certainly around perhaps they'll get an event. We don't know what happens there. Did we see Adelaide going back-to-back? There was great success there last year. There, there are balls in the air. Hobart comes back onto the stadium. And what happens with Perth? You, you know, it's... it's it's yeah. difficult for Perth. The Hopman Cup, you know, a few weeks ago in Nice. It's, uh, you know, for fans yeah. of uh, fans in WA, there were some frustrated people last year. Yeah, and, and, you know, there were some quirks in Australia, which you'd never see, like Adelaide back-to-back. Just that's You never see that in any other city in the world. Um, uh, but Adelaide, I would imagine Brisbane has put its hand up enough and done that to, to you know, I'm sure, I'm sure United Cup will be truncated. It is it, quite incredible, actually, that... Uh, we're kind of back. We could be back to what it was a very similar format of Hopman, something offshore, like I say, Hong Kong, um, you know, uh, Adelaide, Brisbane, Kuyong. Like it, it's it's funny that it's gone this full circle with ATP Cup and a few different versions, and that's where we end up. But uh, at the end of the day, I think it's right. If if it is, it's the right mix. And sometimes I think Australia it can be too much. Um, trying to put too many events on. Like, I'd embrace the offshore a bit more and just put a bit on, save a few bucks. This is the first serve on SEN. Peter Johnston and Courtney Walsh in the studio. We'll take a break and wrap up our hour with Jono after this. Thanks to GLG Green Life Group, your specialist in keeping your sports turf in top condition with minimal disruption at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. We're wrapping up our first hour with Peter Johnston and Courtney Walsh here on the first serve uh, and having a, a bit of it, or getting an insight from Peter Johnston's life as a tournament director, Courtney. Uh, Peter, we saw Cam Smith have another big win in golf on the Live Tour in New Jersey overnight and he led the Australian, you know, the, uh, I can't remember what they're called, the Aussie Crocs or whatever they're called. Uh, yeah, uh, to the Rippers. A, the rip, Aussie Rippers to a massive amount of money. Um, Saudi, Saudi Arabia in tennis, yeah. what do you see coming? Well, it's coming. I think there's no question it's coming. It's a drum roll to see what goes there. And ultimately, look, I think and I think it's open for men and women. I think women's, the WTA could easily position it, not easily, but collectively position it as, look, we're helping pioneer the expansion of women's rights in Saudi. I think there's a message that could, could resonate well. And I think her logic, their sponsor, would buy into that. That's my guess. Um, ATP will be there for sure. I think the ATP don't want to just allow a like just say a, a lease of a tournament go I think they want to go in and cash in so and I think look I I'd still the fact that WTA finals haven't been announced yet still makes me think that there's a chance but you can you can bet your you can bet whatever that tennis will be in Saudi Peter it's been uh, fantastic having you in the studio for this hour thank you so much for jumping in Pleasure, Jordan. It's uh, it's been great to, to get uh, get uh, get an insight of what happens in the life of a tournament director, and we'll be looking forward towards uh, Zhuhai later on uh, this year in a couple of weeks, and then um, and then on to Tel Aviv and Kuyong to start Thanks. next year. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Walsh. Courtney, you're going to stick around for the next hour as well. Big second hour coming up on the first serve. We'll do our state grade wrap up on the other side of this. We'll get our college wrap as well from Lockie Puyol over in the states, and we'll get a, a little deeper dive on what's been happening with the Aussies around the world on the other circuits too. All that and more coming your way on the first serve after this. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Green Life Group, your specialist in keeping your sports turf in top condition with minimal disruption at glgcorp.com. This is the first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to the first serve here on SEN. Jordan Canellas with you and Courtney Walsh sticking around for the second hour 
of the program. All here thanks to Yonex. Check out their new 7th generation racket, a masterpiece of technology and craft combining precise spin and remarkable control, a work of art at yonex.com. A couple of text messages uh, on the temper text here, Courtney, just off the back of, uh, of Peter. Uh, Peter Johnston, I remember you playing a pennant for, uh, for Frankston East uh, 100 years ago, <laughs> he says, Yvonne. Great to know you're still up uh, and about in the world of tennis. Well, he certainly played uh, you know, a little bit of professional tennis as well. He played some doubles around the world. And uh, I think I was just saying to you, he's the silhouette for the Tennis Australia, uh, the Australian Open uh, Logo, but yet Frank. I had no idea about. It's no. a great piece of trivia, and it's a bit of a reverse. If you know, there's a lefty in the right, and it's uh, but it's him. Wow. He's a lefty, and it's done as the. Re- oh yeah, uh, he's a lefty, but uh, still, it's a very nice ball of on. And I do remember Frank East uh, myself. It was mm-hmm. a, it was a lovely club out there. Uh, hey guys, apologies if you've mentioned it already, but great to see Adam Walton win another ATP Challenger tournament. He looked uh, for all money to be down and out, but found a way to win. We haven't mentioned it yet, but we will mention it. We're going to do an Aussie segment on the other side of this, but. Um, yeah, great, uh, great achievement for Adam Walton. Yeah, absolutely outstanding. And to come from being unranked a little over 12 months ago to about 200 in the world, probably just too late for the US Open qualies. But my word, the way he's playing, we'll, we'll get to him, but the way he's playing, Australian Open, certainly for qualifying. And Johnny in St Kilda says, what's next for Kuyong Peter? It has so much potential. It's the best beer garden in Melbourne in early Jan. I think there should be a massive party out the back. Well, Peter stepped out, but uh, but you've got some ideas for Ku Young, I think, Courtney. Oh, look, I think there, he's already in discussions with a couple of very, very handy players, both men and also women. It'll be interesting to see if a recently returned star, a, a former Aussie Open mm. uh, you know, champion, whether whether they may make a, a, an appearance out there. Um, lots of discussions underway, clearly. Uh, just on Ku Young. Uh, there's a film that's just been released, uh, Melbourne International Film Festival, Australia's Open. Oh, yeah. And it, and it throws from Kuyong all the way through to the last couple of years. I managed to stumble a couple of uh, sentences out, but it's got some <laughs> great talent. Pat Cash, uh, Paul McNamee, Craig Tiley, uh, Renee Stubbs, etc., talking about what it means to be the Australian Open and, and how it has. And some of the footage from Kuyong in the late 70s and early 80s is iconic. Just absolutely worth going to see some behind-the-scenes behind the uh, footage of, uh, of what used to happen at Kuyong. Wow. Well worth your while if you're a fan. It's screening for the next week. So it's the history of the Oz Open? Yeah, and, and what it means. Uh, it's impact on Australia, what it says about our nation, what it says about our culture. Uh, you know, told through quite a few different lenses and quite a few different elements of the tournament. And it touches on... You know, the move from a suburban club, an unbelievably good suburban club, which Kuyong is, mm. to uh, to the powerhouse that it is right now in uh, at Melbourne Park. Wow, yeah. It's it's funny, sometimes when you drive past Kuyong, you sometimes, if you don't know it's there, you probably sometimes wouldn't realise it's there unless you drive past the main gates. But you can just drive past the, the premises or the precincts and it's it looks nice on the outside, but you won't, sometimes you won't realise if you're not in the know that it's not, that that was where the Oz Open once took place. Yeah, and, and just... Fabulous history, fabulous uh, on the boards. The uh, the little, uh, I suppose, the cases when you walk in and see all the trophies and all the old historical items. It, it tells a rich history of uh, of what happened in Australian tennis. Let's get to our Tennis Victoria State Grade segment. We are coming up towards the end of the season now for both men's and women's. Round 13 in the men's had a bit of an interrupted week with the rain. So only one of the results actually was completed. Faulkner had a 4-1 win over Tennis World. Um, the other results, Kuyong Lawn, were uh, tied one all with Grace Park before that match, or before that tie was uh, 
was encumbered by the rain. Royal South Yarra and MCC Glenaris Valley. Glenaris up to Love, North Ringwood and Eildon Park. Eildon Park, who was bottom of the table in the men's, were up 2 nothing on North Ringwood. So they would have loved to have got that win, but it was um, it was cancelled at the end of it all with the rain. Uh, and then round 14 fixtures coming up this week as well. So big results on the way as we near the end of the season. And for the women's at Oak Park, Grace Park Hawthorne, were dominant against Bo Morris Lawn, quickly sweeping their way through the first four rubbers without dropping a set until the rain started tumbling down. So they were up 4-0. Uh, Harkaway with a 4-2 win over Diggers Rest in Royal South Yarra and Kuyong Lawn were 2-0. Kuyong Lawn were up before the rain. So round 15 coming up this week and uh, the grand final for the women's is on September 2. So that's only a couple of weeks away. So we're nearing the pointy end now of our, um, of our, uh, of our tennis Victoria state grade uh, season and we've got a very special guest on the line, Courtney. Yeah, uh, Tom, are you there? You've uh, yeah, hey guys, how are you going? Yeah, fantastic. We hear you've been having some fabulous results in uh, state grade this season so far. Tell us about the club and what your hopes are in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean it's been a great season so far. Obviously, uh, I play for Kyung Lawn Tennis Club, so playing for a club with such a rich history in the competition is, I mean, it's been awesome. Um. The next few weeks, I mean, we're sitting, I think, fourth right now. So our, our, our final match before finals is a, is a pretty important one to win. Um, but hopefully, we can we can get through that one and and uh, yeah, go on to finals and, and see how we go. Obviously, there are a lot of other strong top teams in the competition. So, but it's been great so far. Speaking to Tom Patton from the Kuyong Lawn Tennis Club in our state grade segment. Tom, do you start feeling the the pressure now as we get towards the end of the season? Yeah, I mean. Obviously, as you get towards the end of the season, each round becomes so much more important. So many teams that are fighting for finals position. Um, but I think we've done well all season. We've got a great team, a great mix of younger guys and you know the knowledge of older guys like David Didme, Jacob Grills, Greg Jones. So I think, um, yeah, there's definitely a sense of pressure, but I think we're, we're ready to go. A couple of icons, uh, certainly local icons and, and, and players with rich uh, history uh, in Victoria and Australia you've just touched on uh, at sure. the end there. But just on yourself, you, you had the great fortune of, well, not great fortune, the well-earned distinction of earning your first ATP Tour point in Canberra earlier this year, which must mean amazing thrill. And just having a look back through a couple of the results over the last couple of years when you played, uh, you know, you've played some outstanding players just on the tour as well. Uh, Adam Walton, who we're going to talk about later, you know, I think you, you came up against him in Darwin last year, and here he is on the brink of the top 200, having won a, a challenger overnight. Uh, Tristan yeah. Schoolkate, Dane Sweeney, these guys are, are going places. What what does that exposure mean for you? And and can you also tell us about the thrill of winning that, uh, earning that ATP point and getting an ATP world ranking? Yeah, well, I mean, I think for a lot of people, especially myself, getting that first ATP point is is what you know we dream of, and it's such a nice reward to have after so many years of hard work and yeah I mean it felt great getting it in Canberra it was I think I yeah I won my first three rounds in qualifying in three sets and then my first round of main draw in three sets as well so it was yeah it was amazing to get through and yeah such a great feeling to finally get that first point and I think playing the players like yeah the Sweeney school Kate Walton I mean they're, they're such I mean, they're un- unbelievable players, and it's so good for me to play. It's a great way for me to test my game against that level and and see sort of where I'm at. And, um, I mean, it's just a lot of fun to be on court with those guys. I mean, they've achieved so much in the sport. 
as, as you said, Walton, he's just won his first challenger title and it's deserved. I mean, these players, they're, they're really good. And to be able to find myself at levels to be competing against them, it's, yeah, it's an honour. Like, it's, it, yeah, it's been really good. Now that you've got that first uh, ATP point, Tom, what's the what's the what's the short term goal? I, I'm sure there are lofty goals for for the long term, but what do you sort of how do you how do you compartmentalize it all? What do you what are you sort of looking at now in the next couple of months and maybe into the start of next year for for short term goals? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just all about building now. Um, I've sort of shown myself that I have the level to compete this level and and get results, and I think. Um, I've still got a very long way to go before I'm at the level of a Walton. So I think it's sort of building and, and, and playing as many of these of these events as I can and, and keeping the training consistent and really just trying to, I'd say, not, not trying to rush it too much. I think for me, something really important is, is the process and, and keeping on building week in, week out. And yeah, I think the first point's been great to sort of show that the level's there, that you know, we got to keep working. They're so hard to come by, and um, in order to get more of them, yeah, it's a process. I'm just going to have to keep building. I'm headed to Darwin and Cairns in September, so I'll play a few events down there, and then hopefully look to head overseas. So, um, yeah, but I think at the moment it's all about building. So, yeah. How do you go from a uh, from living in the town where uh, it's three degrees overnight to? Uh to preparing for those hard courts in uh, in Darwin and also the humidity and the heating cans uh, in September, do you get the garbage bag out like the jockeys used to? What what do you do to uh, to try and get yourself ready for the rigors <laughs> of playing in such heat and humidity? That's tough for sure. I think, I mean, as you said, Melbourne the weather is so so up and down and quite different to the rest of Australia. So it can be real difficult preparing for these events. Something I like to do is I always like to get to an event a few days before I actually play my first match. So I'll have a few days up there to to train and sort of get used to the, the environment, the weather, the humidity, all that sort of stuff. It's really important. But I think, yeah, just back here, I mean, there's not really much you can do. So you just got to keep training, um, trying to get really fit and just hope that the training you've done and the work you've put in is enough to to still have success in in those different types of environments. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it's the same for a lot of the players that are playing. So we're all battling it. So it's just sort of it's who can manage it best. Tom, where's the uh, where's the furthest place that uh, your tennis has taken you? Furthest place? I haven't actually travelled too much overseas. I've been probably just about everywhere all, all over Australia. But New Zealand's really the only place I've gone out of Australia to play. Um and so I think, yeah, a big goal of mine over the next six months is to try and go somewhere overseas and, and sort of expand expand my horizons and try to get a bit more experience out there. But there's are so many events on in Australia right now, and I think there's so many ways to improve and, and still better my tennis by playing just the events here and maybe, yeah, New Zealand. But, yeah, not too far. What would be the what would be the most achievable um, place you could go outside of Australia and New Zealand? That's that could be sort of right there for you soon. I think Asia for sure. A lot of Aussie guys are headed over there, especially like Jakarta and places like that where they've got events on. You know, a lot throughout the year. Um, but yeah, for me, it's just about picking my moment and when I feel ready and mentally there to head over there. I think I don't want to rush the process. I think. 
I think I'll, yeah, I'll know when I'm ready. And right now I'm fairly happy doing what I'm doing. But yeah, I think Asia for sure is, is um, definitely an option. Somewhere close and not too dissimilar to Australia. A, a double uh, question from me here, Tom. Uh, the first one's a cheeky one off the uh, off the text machine from Alex. Uh, just wondering if the <laughs> highlight of your career is playing with David Bidmead, uh, a Kuyong legend. But uh, more to the point, uh, in terms of the players who are playing state grade this year, it's been such a strong and strong competition for for many many years, and, and, and lots of outstanding players have have come through that and gone on to play professionally. Do you see that in the men's and women's uh, competitions this year? You know, some of your peers, some of those you're competing against, you know, there's clearly some great players uh, competing at that level and it must be such a good grounding for you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'll touch on uh, Bitters first. I mean, yeah, playing with him is unreal. I mean, I've been coached by him for quite a few years now. So, yeah, getting to play with him and and be on his side is, it's, uh, yeah, it's great. Really enjoy it. But I mean, I, yeah, the competition, it, it's full of unreal players. I mean, both who are sort of, you look at like Chan Shine and people like Jacob Grills, maybe not traveling anymore, but still just such unbelievable players. And then, yeah, there's a whole heap of guys in there that are playing and traveling right now. And I think the competition is, it, it's a great level. It's fantastic. But I think for me, the main thing is those older guys that have, have been there and sort of the knowledge that they can pass on. So in my team, I look at sort of like, yeah, a Bidmead or, or a Grills or even a Greg Jones. I've played a few doubles with him and he's just a wealth of knowledge. He, he's great to, to play with and, and learn from. But I think, yeah, the competition this year is, and in the women's as well, it's, it's, it's extremely strong. A lot of good players, a lot of players, you know, coming back and going to college, a lot of players who are traveling. So, I mean, yeah, it's been great, great experience to get out there and play amongst these guys. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Tom, thank you so much for joining us on the first serve tonight and good luck for the uh, for the, the pointy end of the season now. Thanks, heaps, guys. Thanks for having me. Tom Patton from the Kuyong Lawn Tennis Club with us here on the first serve as part of our Tennis Victoria State Grade segment. So this weekend coming up, round 14 of the men's, Grace Park versus Grace Park Hawthorne versus Faulkner, Kuyong Lawn versus Eildon Park. So that's uh, Tom's team. They'll take on the last-placed Eildon Park North Ringwood against uh, MCC Glen Iris Valley and Royal South Yarra versus Tennis World. While for the women's, round 15, uh, Kuyong Lawn versus Harkaway, Royal South Yarra versus Bo Morris Lawn and Diggers Rest versus Grace Park Hawthorne being played at Caroline Springs Tennis Club. There you go. Take, state grade segments, uh, uh, Courtney, take you back? It does take me back. It was such a uh, such a tremendous competition. Uh Going back when I had a little more hair and, uh, <laughs> you know, even uh, you, you would look at some of the players and, and marvel at how good they were and, you know, mindful from my sort of vintage, you know, players like uh, Mark Philippoussis would play on occasion. You would see wow. uh, you know, Stephen Huss, I'm sure, played some, you know, yeah. just, just some, some great players. But even the you know, recent years when they've had the Premier League and you've seen Dasha Seville running, you know, running around. We've had Luke Seville, who's been on fire uh, back chasing a singles career in recent weeks, doing exceptionally well. Just some outstanding, talented players. So, and 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 you talk about David Mid- Bidmead and, and players who have had Greg Greg Jones, who I remember interviewing in the Australian Open. Um, you know, really solid, sound careers that these guys have had, and uh, to have that experience mixed with younger players coming through, I think that's a that's an important thing for players' careers. For those people who don't know what what state grade is and where it sort of sits in the in the tree of of um 
of tennis. Now, there's a lot of tennis enthusiasts who listen to both the show and the podcast who would know exactly what it is. But for those maybe who are tuning in for the first time, where does where does the state grade sit uh, in that um, in that pyramid of tennis? Well, look, uh, traditionally it was always seen as the strongest uh, competition in the Southern Hemisphere, strongest club competition in the Southern Hemisphere. Now, one of the benefits of Tennis Victoria Melbourne pennant is that it's played during winter. In summer around Victoria, all the organisations go back and play, uh, you know, their own sort of separate divisions. But everyone came together, uh, you know, in winter to play. So the, hence, you, you talked about those teams in state grade. They're from all over Melbourne as we speak. Mm. Uh, so you get great players. You get players who are either about to go to college or some who have just come off the tour. Uh, you had different players travelling. So that's always been great. So you would have you would have it right up at the pointy end of uh, of those who are you know clearly a lot of players who will either be playing professionally or have played professionally or certainly tried to make it. It's a, it's a really high standard of tennis. How how close or how far away does the professional level feel for the state grade players? Well, it's it's a good question. I mean, I you know I, I look back at sort of my uh, my vintage and and you know a, a great mate of mine, Robbie Daly, who. Um, He's uh, he's running the paddle uh, courts down uh, down in the Docklands, which we've been to with the first serve. Now he he played players like uh, uh, Joe Siriani, who was played in five Australian Opens. Now that's outstanding sort of level. That's one fifty sort of level. Uh, Todd uh, Schooler's got a, a a podcast out this week with Ramiz Janaid, who had a really long long lasting career in doubles uh, on the ATP tour and had some you know we'd pop up in a different. Uh, city every week. I played against Ramiz in uh, in doubles a few times in Melbourne Penn and in, and in singles, and he was such a you know at seventeen and eighteen, you could see he was a really talented player. So, not that far from uh, you know certainly players at the certainly the number one, be, they'd be looking to be playing uh, you know playing money tour events and also uh, you know the fifteen thousands, twenty five thousands. They they would have their eyes on them like Tom does. You're listening to the first serve here on SEN. Jordan Canellis and Courtney Walsh with you, filling in for Brett Phillips this week, who's taking a week off here for AATC, Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches, providing quality coach education across the globe. Courses delivered by industry leaders and tennis business owners. Learn locally, coach globally, internationally endorsed. Inquire and enrol at aatc.tennis. We'll take a break. We'll come back and we'll, uh, we'll back over a name that was mentioned in that segment. Adam Walton. We'll talk a bit more about him on the other side of this after his challenger triumph during the week. That's next here on The First Serve. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Green Life Group, your specialist in keeping your sports turf in top condition with minimal disruption at glgcorp.com. This is The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve here on SEN. Jordan Canellis and Courtney Walsh with you. Don't forget, you can give us a call on the Harcourts open line, one 736 736 For all things real estate, speak to Harcourts, your move, your Harcourts. And you can send us a text as well on the temper text, 0433 98 11 16. The all-new Temper Pro, Temper's most adaptive mattress ever, is here. We've got our college segment coming up shortly, but let's do a, a bit of a wrap-up, um, Courtney, on the Aussies that have been playing around the world. We mentioned a few of the, the high-profile uh, players in the in the tournament recently in uh, in Canada for the Masters, but there's been some players achieving great things on the Challenger uh, circuit and also the ITF events as well, including Adam Walton, who got a victory on the Challengers. Yeah, outstanding to see, and shouldn't be uh, should not be uh, underestimated just how much ground he's made in the last twelve to fifteen months. Twenty uh, four year old uh, from Brisbane went to the University of Tennessee, I think the Tennessee Vols, which. Uh, 
you know, rich tradition. I think JP Smith may have even been from that area. I'll stand corrected JP if I'm, uh, if I'm wrong there, but certainly, you know, that college system continues to produce very, very, very sound mm. competitive tennis players. And, and this is a great performance from Walton. Carey has been a strong challenger, uh, you know, traditionally, uh, you know, close to the U S some of the players that don't get into Montreal can find themselves there. So tremendous to see him getting over the line there. I think he's, he's about 206 on the world in terms of his singles ranking. I think he's about 160 in doubles. Look, that, that rise will come too late, I think, for qualifying for the U.S. Open. But what it does do is stand him in really good stead for the rest of the year in terms of making uh, you know, challenges, obviously playing the bigger tournaments in that regard. And then, if you're in the top 200, you're playing qualifiers for the Australian Open next yeah. year. Now, he may well perform well enough in the next two to three months with, with the confidence from this win to to stake a claim for a wild card if he can continues on the progression he's on. But nonetheless, he'll have earned a spot in qualifying for the Aussie Open. So fantastic result for him, and, and let's hope that it keeps going for him. I, I think he's backing up uh, straight away. Uh, you know, again, no rest uh, from Kerry to uh, to the Golden Gate Open this week with a couple of other Aussies in uh, in contesting that event there. Uh, Dane Sweeney, he's uh, he's playing James Duckworth, who you know, has been a top 100 player, uh, made finals of ATP Tour events. Uh, so he's there, and a couple of our very talented young women, uh, Kimberly Birrell, qualifies mm-hmm. for the Montreal Masters last week, plays a world number one and former Australian Open champion in Caroline Wozniak in her comeback match. Mm. Back to a back to a, a lower tier event this week, but not a bad thing for Kim as she builds towards the US Open. And Olivia Gadecki, who we know uh, Des Tyson, I think, has been coaching her and, and she's had some mentoring from Ash Barty, really talented player. So, you know, there, there's quite a few going around, but a great opportunity for... Walton in as a semi-alternate to after his great form last week to continue that momentum. So he's starting to well, he's reached his mid twenties in his age at the moment. So has this has this rise been for him and this this now sort of um, little burst that he's had and, and now winning this challenger has it been a bolt from the blue almost for for Adam Walton? Well, I think if you looked at his results over the last twelve months, you could see someone who was having some good results and clearly continuing to climb up the ranks. And we we throw it back to last year where, to our last guest, Tom Patton, who played him in a $25,000 event in Darwin, I think, last year. So it's a long way from Darwin to, to the Golden Gate Open this week and, and to being on the verge of the top 200. Yeah. So, yes, in one regard, you know, there's a, there's a bolt from the blue, but over the last 12 months, the progression has been clear. I think he made a, an NCAA doubles final, All-American doubles final uh, going back when he was at college. So clearly a, a player who could, uh, you know, with, with great talent and promise coming through and Perhaps that college, uh, that college endeavour has set him up well for what will hopefully be a, a sound, profitable uh, professional career. I think he's made a bit over 100000 US in in prize money this year. So, you know, things are, things are going well there. And uh, you mentioned some of the women there in Olivia Gadecki and Kim Birrell, but a few others, Daria Saville and also Arena Rodjanova. Uh, now, Arena Rodjanova had an ITF uh, victory, was it? Uh, so she made a final in Roehampton, uh, and she's had some really, really good results uh, in the UK in those 25,000s, sort of jumping between the 60s and the 25,000s in the last few weeks. And, and you know, she's now in her mid-30s and, and continuing to play great tennis. And, 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 you know, who else was over there? Destiny Ava was over there. She She's had a couple of decent results as well. So good to see Destiny trying to make her way back in terms of... Uh, where you think her talent can get her. She was, you know, she had some, some good moments at the Australian Open when she was younger 
Uh, got Dasha Seville back uh, on the comeback trail, obviously, after that second knee reconstruction. She's playing in uh, Colombia this week. Mark Polman's in Poland. And even Bernie Tomic making a quarterfinal last week in a challenger. Uh, he's had some reasonable results on the secondary tour uh, in recent months. He's back into the top 300. And look, you know, love all, you know people will have uh, different views about Bernie, but uh, I still think it's good to see him doing the hard yards and trying to make his way back towards the top level into the top 300. He'll get greater opportunities now in challenges. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he gets back towards the 150 marker, uh, if he gets a couple of decent results and his body holds up. And we mentioned uh, Max Purcell and Thanasi Kokonakis qualifying for the main draw at the next ATP 1000 event, which is uh, basically on now or tonight or tomorrow morning, which is in Cincinnati. And they've got some tricky first-round opponents first up, the two of them. Yeah, that, that event's is well and truly underway already. Uh, Christopher Eubanks, the Wimbledon quarterfinalist, was beaten uh, uh, overnight. So he's, you know, like there's already some big names sort of exiting the tournament uh, as mm. others, including Alex Dimonor, arrive into uh, Cincinnati and Jesper Gula from, uh, from Montreal. Yeah, so Dimonor will play JJ Wolf, as we touched on, with the potential to play Norrie or Monfils in the second round. Uh, Jordan Thompson goes up against uh, John Isner, the veteran American, now 38. Uh, really good effort again from Jordan. He's, you know, I think he's uh, he's playing very well, uh, qualified as well. Max Purcell against uh, Lloyd Harris, the uh, the South African. Perhaps Casper Ruud to follow. Mm. And Kokonakis will play Herkats, which is a really tricky task. But if Thanasi plays well and serves well, you know, it's a big thing. And then, you know, importantly for that tournament, Novak Djokovic playing in the US for the first time since the, uh, I suppose, the mandate was lifted uh midway through the year. So it's been some time since right, he's been able wow. to play in the US. So he's back and he'll be in action second round. Uh, won't be an easy task for him either. I think it's uh, either Echeverry who knocked off Dimonor at the uh, at the French Open and, and, is a, and is a very, very, very talented clay quarter, certainly, but he has some power. Or uh, Davidic Fikina, who made the semifinals in uh, Toronto last week. So not easy for Djokovic and Alcaraz, who was beaten uh, in, uh, in Montreal. He's uh, the top seed. Massive event in Cincinnati. It's always been a yeah. big one, the, the Southern and Western Open. We got caught up in, with uh, talking about Alex Dimonor in the in the opening segment. We had, didn't even get to the other uh, results through the tournament. But yeah, uh, Carlos Alcaraz losing to Taylor Fritz and then Daniel Medvedev. Was it No, Tommy Paul, sorry, uh, from the United States. And then and then Daniel Medvedev losing as well pretty early on. So the, the number one and number two seed were, were out earlier than we would have expected. Yeah, and, and look, uh, Paul, I think that's back-to-back successes over Alcaraz in in uh, Toronto, well, in Canada, because you beat him in Montreal the last time around. They switch, uh, they switch the events uh, from one city to the next uh, each year. Men, men, one year in Montreal, men the next year in Toronto, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Former, US, uh, former Australian Open semi-finalist who's doing some really good things on the tour, Tommy Paul, uh, Alex uh, Dimonor beat him, I think, in Mexico last week. But uh, to come out and beat Alcaraz shows not a lot between the uh, the very best uh, and Medvedev. Dimonor's tactic against against Medvedev was. I thought very clever. He beat him in Paris last year, which was a really big moment in his career. I think we touched on before he'd gone, I think five and uh, five and thirty-two in terms of top ten players uh, leading into that match against Medvedev last year. He's now won six of his last eleven against top ten. Wow. He served and volleyed. You know, we know that Daniil stands so far back on return, and we saw Alex getting into the net on occasion and and playing well. So. Yeah, uh, not a lot between them. I think it, it'll be fascinating to see how Novak performs on hard courts after that epic Wimbledon final uh, back in the US. I suspect you'll have a point to prove, just like he did when he arrived in Melbourne uh, 
this year and we saw what happened there, mm. but we know the US Open has not quite been his happiest stamping ground. Doesn't have quite the same level of dominance as he's had elsewhere around the world. So, you know, a lot to unfold. Alcaraz defending a Grand Slam title for the first time going into the US Open. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. We'll take a break here on the first serve, our little wrap-up there of the Aussies around the world on all different levels of professional tennis and a, a slight look ahead towards Cincinnati as well. We can uh, go a little deeper in that at the end of the hour as well. You can send in your text messages, 0433981116 on the Temper text. The all-new Temper Pro, Temper's most adaptive mattress ever is here. We'll take a break and we'll uh, have a look at the college scene on the other side of this. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Green Life Group. Your specialist in keeping your sports turf in top condition with minimal disruption at glgcorp.com. This is The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve here on SEN. Jordan Canellas with you, all thanks to AATC, Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches, providing quality coach education across the globe. Courses delivered by industry leaders and tennis business owners. Learn locally, coach globally, internationally endorsed. Inquire and enrol at aatc.tennis. It's that time of the show where we head over statesides and get the update on what's happening in the college scene with Lockie Puyall. Lockie, you got two Jeremys with you today. Thanks, Jordan. On our college segment tonight, we catch up with two of our Aussies, both from Sydney, Jeremy Jin and Jeremy Zhang, both who are jetting off uh, this week to the US. Jeremy Jin, he's signed to the University of Florida. Of course, that's where Ben Shelton has just graduated from last year. He's been playing uh, challenges, the ITFs. He started the year playing the Oz Open qualifying, going down in the first round. Uh, he's played the uh, Australian ITF and Challenger Tour. He's played over in Monastir, uh, Tunisia, which is a quite popular uh, destination for the, uh, for the ITFs, and then, of course, over to China. Also, Jeremy Zhang, he's signed to the University of Illinois. Uh, he's from Sydney as well. Of course, Illinois is where uh, Alex Vukic graduated from. We've seen the likes of Alexander Kovacevic, the American, also uh, Rajiv Ram, the American double specialist. So uh, big programs that the boys have uh, committed to. They're really excited to start their season, and they gave us a great chat for our college segment. Let's start with you, Jinny. I mean, you started the year playing AO Qualies. You've played ITFs in Monastir uh, in Asia. You've played so many matches this year. Why did you make that decision to go over to college, to go to Florida? Yeah, yeah. So initially when I was just playing in you know, my last year of juniors, it didn't really pop up until I would say September, uh, just, you know, after the US Open. And then my um, my coach, like my former coach in NTA, Andrew Roberts, he just, you know, he just like brought it over my head a little bit. And I thought about it. And then because like I wanted to have an open mind about it, I decided to ask other people. And then I did some research, and then when after I did my research, I was like, "Wow, this is a this is a serious possibility that I can, you know, definitely pursue, you know, in the future." And then so that's when I started talking to schools, uh, different schools, all great programs. And then you know I did my visits, and you know I ended up at Florida. And I think for me, I, I personally believe I'm I'm not ready to be traveling full time, and you know actually you know winning these future events and climbing up the rankings I, I i personally think i need to develop physically and mentally and just get a little bit more match play and consistent match play as well whereas you don't know what to expect when you're kind of you know out there playing futures could be you know you could have a good week and you know get good matches under the belt but you could also just exit first round and then you got six days to kind of just figure it out by yourself if you're not with a coach and then it's all a bit of a mess you know whereas college you know what you're doing you might not be getting any ranking points but 
you are developing the right way. So that's like what I feel like. Let's turn it over to you, Zangy. I mean, you've, you've just signed to Illinois, a big program. Coach Brad Dancer is entering his 19th season. Uh, he was the assistant coach under Craig Tiley. Kevin Anderson, Alexander Vukic, Alex Kovacevic, Rajiv Ram have all come out of Illinois. Was that one of the reasons why you chose Illinois, just from the strong history that they've had in producing players? Oh, yeah, I, I would say it was a really big part of it, especially kind of knowing Vukic a little bit. He's been in Sydney, like here and there, like for preseason. And also my coach here, Dave, was like helped me like a lot and reached out like to these schools. And that was definitely a big part of the coaching, the history, and especially Vukic as well, like having an Australian specifically. I think on top of the facilities was, I think it was kind of a clear option for me to pick. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at Florida just recently, Ben Shelton, who just graduated back in 2022, made the AO quarterfinals. Uh, for, so for you, uh, Jingy, going into Florida, what did the whole communication uh, process look like for you? Because uh, Ben Shelton's dad, Brian Shelton, uh, who was the coach of Florida, is just retired. Uh, coach Adam Steinberg has just come in from Michigan. He was at Pepperdine. Uh, before that so he's had a very well decorated coaching career so how did that whole communication uh, process look like for you getting over to the University of Florida? I always thought the possibility was then <laughs> other people would tell me as well that you know obviously Ben's doing very well he made quarters of AO and now he's like top 40 maybe 35 in the world I'm not sure but so obviously Brian definitely could have left to go coach Ben full-time considering how much he's helped Ben in Florida and transitioning to pro so I always thought it was possible. I probably didn't expect it, you know, to happen before my, like, start before my freshman year, but it is what it is. And Adam's a great, you know, great head coach too. He, did, he was at Michigan for a long time. So there's nothing, you know, to be too disappointed about. And obviously the, the preparation before going to college, I know you're both training uh, in Homebush uh, in Sydney, Sydney's Olympic Park, beautiful venue. What kind of training are you doing just pre-college? Yeah, um... Yeah, it's been really good. Like the the sessions out here, like every morning at nine and the afternoon at two with like fitness in between. Like it's been perfect. I think really good setup going into Calandra and the tournaments leading up to when I leave. So yeah, really happy with it. And uh, I mean, because you've been playing the ITFs, Challengers, you've played AO Qualies, you've built a ranking inside the top 800. But now at college, you're not going to be able to play as many of those matches. Was that ever a concern mm -hmm. or is it just the, the quality of matches the number of matches you're getting you know week in week out all the travel does that sort of override the whole ranking process if, if you're just doing it uh, individually i mean i believe that as long as your you know your level is there it really doesn't matter what your ranking is at a certain period as long as you know you know you're going to win matches as soon as you get out of college like you know for example adam Walton, rinky hijakata they didn't come out with a I think Walton actually didn't come out with a ranking at all. And then in, the, I think, less than a year, he's like top 240 now. And then Rinky probably had a bit of a ranking, but now he's like top 120. And I mean, there's, real, there's really no difference between being top 800 and being whatever, like top 400, 300. Uh, it's all about getting to the slams and uh, slam qualities and maybe some high level challenges are good as well. So that's the biggest priority for me was just to improve in college and then when I'm ready, come out and hopefully, you know, start winning a lot of matches. And I think also Alex Vukic, who 
went to Illinois. I mean, he didn't have a ranking when he came out either. Um, you mentioned Adam Walton, but that was all before the accelerator program uh, has come out. Sure. Came out. So with the partnership with the ITA and the ATP, if you finish in the top twenty, I mean, even in the top ten, you get direct entries into fifty and seventy-five uh, challenger main draws. If you finish eleven to twenty, then you get directly into college. and that's just not for American challenges. That's all around the world. Uh, you know, so yeah. I mean, that's definitely a benefit for the Cole Collegiate system. Is that something that you knew about before coming into to college, Zangi? I actually don't think so. I think maybe I was aware of it only recently, but like when I did hear it, I was surprised. I did hear about the junior accelerator program and then kind of saw that they were doing a similar thing with the, the college players going into challenges. And yeah, I mean, 100%. I think it's like an unreal initiative for like people that are transitioning that it's a perfect opportunity to be playing, especially like, even if you're not American, like if you're European or you live in Asia, like there's challenges to play and you don't have to be in America strictly. I think it's like a fantastic initiative for sure. Yeah. And the fall season, uh, college here over in the US starts in August. It's usually around the 15th or the 16th. Uh, Mark, when are you boys uh, planning to, to fly out? Uh, Jingy, let's start with you. Uh, I was planning to um, fly out on the 15th, probably to get there before the 17th for, I think it was international orientation. Um, yeah, I think I'm heading around the 17th or it's somewhere in mid-August. I'm still not 100% sure yet, but yeah, I think our classes start the 21st. Well, all the best going into the collegiate season, the fall season, and we hope to catch up with both of you guys over the course of the year. Uh, of course, all those matches that will be played uh, over in the spring. Have a safe flight, and we look forward to catching up with you both soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. A big thank you to both boys for coming on our college segment tonight. So many great insights into getting to college, why they chose the college pathway. They've been playing the ITFs, the challenges. This pathway is just another pathway to really make that transition onto the ATP and WTA Tour. Of course, I'll be able to play those ITFs, the challenges, while they're uh, still at college. But of course, I'll be focusing on uh, getting their degree and also playing uh, matches week in, week out against all of the other schools. They're joining some of the biggest schools in the country, Florida being a top school in the SEC, the Southeastern Conference and also, Illinois being a top school in the Big Ten Conference, uh, they'll play the likes of Michigan uh, and many others who finished in the top 10 last year. So we wish the boys all the best for their college fall season, their first year as freshmen, and we hope to catch up with them over the course of the season. If you have any questions uh, regarding our college segment or even our Play USA podcast, you can reach out to us. You can send us an email at thefirstservesen at gmail.com. Back over to you, Jordan. Thank you, Lockie. We'll catch up with you again next week for our college wrap-up of the week. We'll take our final break here on the show and we'll come up uh, on the other side of this and wrap up our own show here on The First Serve this Monday night on SEN. The Driver's Seat with Stephen Johnson and Matt McKay. Celebrating 15 years, thanks to GLG Green Life Group, your specialist in keeping your sports turf in top condition with minimal disruption at glgcorp.com. This is The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve, our final segment of tonight's program. Jordan Canellis and Courtney Walsh with you. Filling in for Brett Phillips, he'll be back next week. 
here for Yonex. Check out their new 7th generation racket, a masterpiece of technology and craft, combining precise spin and remarkable control. A work of art, yonex.com. Don't forget to link up with the First Serve's social media accounts. You can catch us on uh, on TikTok, on YouTube, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And of course, you can log on to thefirstserve.com.au for all the latest feature stories and podcasts from the First Serve. First Serve has a whole suite of different podcasts, including uh, American-based podcasts, Australian-based podcasts, um, history, uh, historical podcasts as well, a uh, match of my life where you can go back and have a listen to uh, some of the great stories t- as told by the players themselves of the best matches of their careers and all the feature articles as well. I'm uh, having a scroll through uh, right now of uh, seeing Connor Joyce, nationality in sport, tennis needs it back, which I think is a pretty good take as well. So uh, make sure you log on to thefirstserve.com.au. Courtney, uh, just a quick update on uh, Nick Kyrgios and so where he's at right now with his um, his injuries because he hasn't played tennis really at all this year and it's been a while out for him now. Yeah, look, no great surprise uh, leading into the US Open. Uh, they announced uh, this week that he would not be playing in New York uh, where he was a quarterfinalist last year, which was at the tail end of a you know a really remarkable summer where he made the final of... Uh, of Wimbledon uh, had that fantastic sort of run to the title in Washington. Uh, you know, he'd made a couple of semifinals leading into Wimbledon, etc. So he'd had a great run and really looked to be uh, on track to, to live up to that potential that we clearly know that he has. And he's playing superb tennis and, you know, at the time probably in the top three to four players in the world. Mm. Uh, he's played once this year, uh, injured himself, injured the knee uh, in an exhibition last December. Tried to come back for the grass court season. Uh, he played that match in Stuttgart. Looked to be moving pretty ordinarily uh, against Wibbing U. Uh, at Wimbledon, you know, the, the, the practice sessions were not overly strenuous and withdrew on the eve of the tournament with a wrist. Uh, and we won't see him again this summer now. That'll see his ranking plummet significantly, sort of all the way down into the 400s or so because he earned so many points in that rapid period last year. But... The flip side is, of course, that he has a protected ranking of 21. So when he actually comes back, he'll have you know, to use that for a couple of slams, a couple of the other major events, and that gives him protection. And I think it's a really good rule for mm-hmm. the players. So let's just hope he can get his body right uh, leading into the next Australian summer. Yeah, a bit frustrating because he's he got his head right, he's got his game right, and now the body just let him, de- let him down at the wrong time. So hopefully we will see him back again come January. Thank you so much, Courtney. It's been great having you on. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for carrying me through, Jordan. No, no problem at all. Very kind. Uh, AATC, Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches, providing quality coach education across the globe. Courses delivered by industry leaders and tennis business owners. Learn locally, coach globally, internationally endorsed. Inquire and enrol at aatc.tennis. That's it for the first serve tonight. Hope you've had fun listening along the way. Podcast the show. You can listen to it at sen.com.au as well. And Brett Phillips will return next week. See ya.